0: And welcome to Mint and Burn, the academic analysis of blockchain and other technologies in the decentralised digital economy. I'm your host, Kelsey Nabin, and today we're tuning in from the RMIT University Blockchain Innovation Hub for a special episode which was demanded by popular demand uh, to explain this craze of NFTs or non-fungible tokens and kind of go a little bit deeper than the headlines, although we'll start with a simple explanation. So we've got a few members of the RMIT team here, introducing distinguished Professor Jason Potts, Professor Ellie Rennie, Associate Professor Chris Berg and Professor Sinclair Davidson. Welcome.
1: Hi, how are you? Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining me. Let's get straight to it and we'll start with Jason. Can you give the audience just a clear, uh, succinct uh, summary of what are NFTs?
2: Yeah, thanks, Kelsey. So non fungible tokens implies that there is fungible tokens. And you know, fungible tokens are just cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin is a fungible token in the sense that I can swap one Bitcoin for another Bitcoin. And that's the same thing as money. One dollar can be exchanged for another dollar. They're fungible. They're, they're, they're swappable, outable. Um, what's interesting about a cryptocurrency is it's fungible digital scarcity. A non fungible token is something that is representing a unique asset or a unique object. So, again, non fungible objects, you know them as houses or works of art or just something that is a unique object. Um, the title deed to a house can't be swapped for the n- another title deed for a house because they're different houses. They're non fungible objects. So, non fungible tokens are just a thing that already exists in the real world and the digital, transferred into the digital world. But instead of fungible digital scarcity which is a cryptocurrency we've got non-fungible digital scarcity which is an nft so it's a it's it's a it's sort of a new thing and everyone's got excited about this in the past few months but it's actually a really obvious and um an obvious category that was always was always going to be there from the moment we had smart contracts and and um, Ethereum and so on. So that's that's the basic idea. Um, the the broader concept is why do you know what's the what's the big economic concept here? And the answer is ownership. Um, sort of this is basically NFTs give us a way to have a digital ownership economy across everything, not just digital money. So this notion of um, people getting excited about NFTs because they open up the prospect of moving ownership. And um, in a digital world to basically anything we can attach it to. So at the moment, um, all the excitement is people running around putting NFTs on everything. Um, In a sense, some of that looks crazy and stupid and new and weird. And almost certainly there'll be lots of things we'll look back upon with shame and humiliation. But that's the obvious thing to do right now because we've we've now got a technology that we can attach ownership to everything. So we're going to run around, put NFTs on everything and see what sticks. And anything that sticks means we've now got digital ownership of that new thing. So this is the, you know, the wild west, wild west of digital ownership right now is, is what we're going through. So um, we're doing this with cats on the Internet. That was CryptoKitties with eight, of eight bit um, bits of digital art. The entire art sector is is, is just um, it was the first place to get super excited about it because the entire arts and cultural sector is nothing but non-fungible objects. Um and non-fungible objects that previously have had a difficult and complex relationship with ownership. Um, very expensive things have ownership because of ways we've, you know we can put signatures on them, we can sign a painting, um, or you can you can you know um, try and create methods to establish ownership. But there's no real sort of central registries in the way there is with land or houses or other non-fungible objects. So of course the arts and creative industry sector was super excited about a new technology to establish ownership there so that's like that's where we are right now is right at the frontiers of a new wild west of putting ownership into the digital economy on everything we can think of that's the excitement behind nfts
0: okay so we have unique objects or unique assets and they're being made digital now and so This ability to do this has actually been around for a few years. But Sinclair, how do you explain the sudden explosion in this industry? Uh,
1: My view is that this is experimentation. So if if you think of the blockchain technology itself, first of all, we had... Bitcoin, which was currency, uh, we then more or less had smart contracts, which is a way of doing things, uh, we've had crypto assets, but the, the, the act of digitizing an economy is actually one where you've got to go through and establish property rights, and it's easy to, or easy, in its gay quotes, it's easy to, to, to make a money. But in actual fact, people don't just trade money on, on, on the blockchain. They want to trade real things. They want to trade assets. Uh, we want to actually digitize our economy. Now, the first step of that is actually digitizing things that we know before we can move into things that we don't know or, or, or existing business models before we go into new and different business models. So, the idea of trading money, yes, okay, we've done that now. The idea of creating a financial system, that's been the DeFi craze we've seen over the last 18 months or so. Okay, that's that's going well. Now the thing is, well, okay, let's digitize other things. Let's digitize assets. Let's digitize non-obvious things. And so, that's started off with, with art and with songs. Um, and now this, for, for those people, very often is a new delivery mechanism, a different delivery mechanism. Some of it will be worthwhile, some of it won't be. So there's a massive area error, error of experimentation going on. Two things driving, maybe three things driving this experimentation. One, this is the next cab off the rank, the next thing to do, which, we, which has been done, and um, the other thing is interest rates are astonishingly low right now. And when interest rates are low, that basically means that we drive down the what we call the Hayekian triangle into more crazy wild ideas because it's cheap to do those crazy wild ideas. Now, some of them will work, some of them won't. There will be a lot of failure. There is a lot of failure in every new innovation. So we, we shouldn't worry too much about the failure. And then the other thing is, is that in the, in the digital economy, it's actually cheap to experiment. So we, we, we actually have this confluence of, of, of things whereby um, experimentation right now is very cheap. We should expect to see a lot of it. We are seeing a lot of it. Now, this has upsides and downsides. The upsides is we're trying out new things. This is always a good thing. The downside is there will be fads. There will be bubbles. There will be failures. Um which happens with any level of experimentation. So today, for example, I saw somebody had made an NFT out of a cocktail recipe. Um, Now, this may be a cute thing to do. I just can't imagine that in future we'll be spending millions of dollars buying cocktail recipes um, on the blockchain. Um, But we have seen some interesting artwork come about. We have seen new ways of selling things. Um, so uh, Kings of Leon, for example, are minting golden tickets that will give you unique artwork, that will give you an album, that will give you a ticket to a future uh, um a concert, um, that may actually be a model which persists in the future. Now, I don't think they'll they'll be selling for many hundreds of thousands of dollars in the future. They'll be selling for a lot less. But bearing in mind, every new technology comes along is expensive um, and then declines in price, um, and there are many business failures along the way. But this experimentation, some of the objects and the artifacts that we are seeing are going to be valuable simply because they are experiments and and collectors might want to hang on to them. So I I don't think we should be too taken aback by uh, some of the craziness that we're seeing because that in and of itself has got a collector's market. Um, But at the same time, I don't think we should always think that you'll be able to sell a JPEG file for 69 million US dollars. Um, you know, so the, the, there are those trade-offs that that, that are going to be coming along.
2: So Sinclair, the the example you gave is an interesting one. The idea of, of of cocktails of of a cocktail recipe. What's interesting about it is that recipes don't have intellectual property protection, and if I put any innovation to designing a new recipe. It's the same thing with like comedians' jokes. There's a whole bunch of sort of creative products that fall outside the patent system where it's very difficult to create intellectual property protection. So you have these other methods of, you know, chefs shame each other or they, um, or comedians like beat each other up in the streets if you steal a com- another one's jokes. So there's these alternative methods to protect intellectual property. So it doesn't surprise me that some of the first examples of um, use of NFTs was exactly in places where we had weak or missing property rights systems such as cocktails and recipes and these other sorts of things.
1: Yes, I, I think that might be true. The downside of that is that even though this person is selling the, uh, uh, the NFT cocktail um, as an NFT, I can tell you what it is right now. Um, so there, there's no actual scarcity to it. There, there's no mechanism for him to collect a trailing commission. Now, I think in the area of trotting commissions, this is where things are going to be interesting. Um, So I
0: think think we'll come back to some of the opportunities and potential limitations of the space. On your point about why now in terms of the adoption curve, you mentioned experimentation and potentially diversification of assets. Chris, you and Jason wrote a piece about memes move markets as well. Do you think that that plays into the digital economy as well?
3: Yeah, it absolutely does. So um, the time is right for this sort of experimentation where we're at a, um, we've got a strong intertwining between online cultural movements and um, the financial sector that was forged um, has been for- forging itself for a long time, but has become really to the fore in the blockchain space and DeFi. Um, I think also another reason that we are seeing what we're seeing today is because if you think back to the last cryptocurrency boom in 2017, it was just a lot harder to interact with these services than it is today. So the, the infrastructure that's been built up has made it a lot easier for more people to interact with Non fungible tokens. It's just it's a lot simpler. So, so for example, CryptoKitties um, was built before the creation of the non fungible token standard that has propelled a lot of these new non fungible tokens on Ethereum. Um, The uh, wallets that we use to interface with non fungible tokens now they're they're only a couple of years old. So, you know, MetaMask is is a fantastic product, but it's a relatively recent product um, uh, compared to the, the previous experiment. So I think I, I think what we're now seeing, we're starting to get the rewards of that infrastructure creation, sometimes looking a little bit mundane like wallets and MetaMask, but um, has allowed us to, to really drive new innovation in.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned a standard, which I guess is just a move towards interoperability in the, in the kind of technical specification of of the asset. So we've covered kind of art, rare goods, tickets, um, and cats and cocktails. Um, Ellie, your expertise is in the arts and and cultural sector in many ways. So how does this kind of, like what's happening in terms of a peer to peer economy here, which actually is potentially of benefit to artists or creators?
4: Yeah, thanks, Kelsey. I think that there is significant benefit here for artists, particularly because you can design these tokens in any way you like. Um, You can add resale royalties into them. Um, You can retain ownership even uh, as an artist, retain some kind of ownership over that creator creation, which if, you know, for instance, Uh, for for an Indigenous design might be incredibly important to that particular cultural group. Um, But I think there's something here that the economists are missing, which I want to come in on because really, yes, we're seeing some incredible uh, adoption of this NFT technology but really what, what it's about, it's, it's not just about who's taking it up, it's about culture generally. And some of that is about how the art world works and how artists are trying to, I suppose, claim back some kind of economic opportunity in difficult circumstances. But this is also just about signaling and bragging and a lot of what we're seeing occurring particularly when it comes to i suppose the more mimic style um collectibles and the like here is it's it's people signaling to their mates that they are part of a club and this is just how culture works and has always worked you know we've always had um, baseball cards or um, objects within games that people want to own and, and use within that game um, as some kind of status signal. And, and and we're seeing it also, I think, with, with what's going on with AtScent and tweets around, for instance, Jack Dorsey um, selling the first tweet that he put up on Twitter, uh, which looks like it is about to sell right now. And that, you know, he's going to kindly donate the money from my understanding. But what's going on there? I mean, it's still actually Jack Dorsey's intellectual property and, in fact, it's still his platform. But someone has the bragging rights to say that they paid more money for this than someone else. So I think when we're thinking about what I love about what's going on in NFTs is it's showing the the dynamics of brand, of desire, of affect, of all of these things that this kind of financial and um, very kind of technologist world um you know it, it it's colliding with these things which we've we've always had out and around us and have been consumed by and of course, people pay more for the Prada handbag than for the copy of the Prada handbag because they can show that it's the authentic thing and that they paid a lot of money for it, and they can tell all their friends that it's the real thing it's not a It's not a new phenomenon is what I'm saying it's just that we've found a way to bring this over. Into um, the digital world, and in fact, to make it more efficient and more effective, and as you said, more peer to peer in the process.
3: Can I can I just add something there too? So, so all of us on this on this podcast have um, done a lot of sort of popular media um, about NFTs in the last couple of weeks, and uh, exactly what Ali said, I think, is why a lot of the conversa- what a lot of the conversation gets wrong. So the main objection that you hear from radio hosts, for example, is, well, you know, you haven't bought anything because I can look at the JPEG or, or Sinclair as I can, I can look at the recipe anyway. Um, and, and, and typically if you've got a sort of mechanistic worldview, you'll say, well, you know, intellectual property law hasn't quite caught, caught up with this new technology, but in fact, the, it is the ownership itself, which is the consumption to own it is to consume it in that sense. Um, uh, and there are there is a demand for people to be able to say um, yes it looks like this is an infinitely copyable thing but in fact only I have this or only I have one of 200 editions of something Um, and uh, particularly if you are interested in your consumption supporting the artist you may voluntarily choose to um, uh, to hand over money that you don't have to to get some of the consumption value itself so i I have come across this this issue a lot of these um a lot of these resale royalty um structures completely require um users or the buyers to use the same platform that the uh, that a token was a or smart contract was originally traded on um whereas in fact of course you could just trade it separately you could hand over the private key at the at the at the crudest um uh level but almost everybody just goes back to the Platform because they want to participate, they want to abide by the implicit or explicit um, sort of contractual arrangement that um, that the token represents.
1: You see, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that's exactly right. Um, but I think that that is a niche market, that is a small community-based market, and uh, we've seen these things happen in the past where where local rules and local norms actually you know emerge and dominate um but i actually if if you're going to go for at scale and massification you can't simply rely on people selling baseball cards or 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 expensive artworks Um, we actually need to have an experimentation where um, mass market goods and services gets digitized and placed onto onto the internet, onto the blockchain. So, um, I, I think this is an interesting market. I think it's an early stage market. I think it may be very valuable. I don't know if people are selling early minted coins or using early minted coins to buy these things. So, it's not really worth sixty nine million dollars or not. Um, that's an interesting thing to think about because. Even today, I saw a tweet that was saying, you know, the the, the the two pizzas that were bought for $10 in 2010 would be now worth half a billion dollars. Um, and of course, the point is they're not worth half a billion dollars. They're worth $10 because that's how much you paid for them at the time sort of affair. Um, you know, so there, there, there's a lot of interesting things we need to think about, um, but I think the, what we're seeing now is, is local community norms and, and values which may or may not scale um, as the blockchain economy itself scales.
0: So that's a good segue to my next question, which is if NFTs can kind of carry information or represent a cultural expression, what are, the, like, what are the things we can actually do with them? So they're not necessarily just ownership of a thing, but Chris, you sort of started to allude to kind of, um, you know, access or co-ownership and the sort of functionalities around NFTs, which also I don't think has been spoken about as much in kind of existing discourse.
3: Yeah, um, so the, there's a lot of things that you can do and we're, we've been talking, or it's, it's sort of more fun to think about Um, uh, just pieces of art or something quite straightforward that um, a JPEG that you might own or or a video or so forth. But really an NFT has the full smart contracting functionality that any digital um, blockchain exchange system has. So you can use it as a um, credential to say that I've been and done something. You can use it as a entry into another um, set of rights. I can distribute something to everybody who has a previous version of my artwork or has has been to an event or or what have you. There's actually, I, I think because we're at such an early stage, we haven't really seen all the innovation um, possible. And I know Ellie's um, been looking at some of these ideas. So I might throw it to you, Ellie.
4: I think some of the interesting possibilities are, are probably more around what this might mean for collateralized loans and things like that as well. So we're starting to see the merger of DeFi and NFTs where you might have a, an index fund of NFTs that, that people are trading and buying into and out of and the rest of it, which is enabling some kind of pricing of things, which otherwise only have a price at the point of sale, uh, a kind of continuous price, which means that therefore, I think you can start to see how that might be um, used in ways that say, well, I've, I've got this much of a share in this collection of artworks which at the moment we can see is worth this much on a secondary market of some kind and apologies to the economists here if I'm using the wrong terminology but you get where I'm going with it and the and I the reason why I think that's also interesting and important is of course art has always been used for those kinds of purposes it's a it's a place where you can invest money where you can have syndicates where you can do money laundering where you can, you know, hide it in an airport hangar and avoid tax, all kinds of things. I'm pretty sure that's one of the uses of NFTs as well.
1: Not that we're encouraging people to engage in yeah, do money. That. That. Um, so don't do this at home, kids. Um.
0: <laughs> so that's a very good point, though. So as this area kind of emerges as of kind of an industry in in the digital economy what's what's missing what's still to come in terms of um you know so, some of the other concerns around it in terms of uh, legal accounting um you know cybersecurity. like what are the issues here
3: so the way i think about it is that there's a spectrum of non-fungible tokens from the purely online non-fungible token that exists entirely on a blockchain doesn't even rely on external websites or anything like that, to um, the non-fungible token that just represents something that exists in the real world, like the title to a home. Um, Those uh, that idealized everything on the blockchain, that is completely self-enforcing. The IP protection is entirely what we would say endogenous to the object itself. So it doesn't really need a legal system. Um, uh, A lot of what... The innovation, however, I think is going to come in this um, in the non-fungible token space, because it could be potentially enormous if we're going to include titles to every piece of property on the planet, is going to be in that interface between the legal system and the the, the digital distributed ledger. Um, to I, I think what we're talking about right now is the sort of leading edge of a non-fungible token ecosystem that can be sometimes interesting, sometimes kooky, sometimes artistic, but ultimately um, if we align the legal system and, and the NFT space together, it could be just extraordinary, not just financialization of artworks, but the financialization of of all all, all ownable property.
0: And markets upon upon markets. As, and as and markets, pointed markets
3: out. upon markets. And, and we've talked, um, uh, a, a lot of people in this space have talked a lot about the use of blockchain to reorder the sharing economy, to reorder, um, uh, to, to allow people to make small transactions, to allow people to um, borrow and lend and borrow against and lend against their property.
0: Jason, do you have something to add? Yeah,
3: I think all of
2: that is going on, but there's another aspect that's also going on beneath the surface here that I think is just as interesting. And we see this already in the cryptocurrency space that what cryptocurrencies did was they provided They're private money that provided competition in the space of money providers. So previously we had governments were essentially monopoly providers of money. Um, Cryptocurrencies come along and whether we use them or not. This, the very fact that we've got competition makes money work better because now there's an alternative. It's the same thing with property rights, is that we've now got this world. I mean, the other way to think about what an NFT is as a platform is the you know the Ethereum platform is now a property rights system. And you know it'll provide d- various levels of security and capabilities. And if you use if you build on that, you're using the Ethereum property rights system. Um, but, you know, we can also use a Cosmos one and there'll be another one and so on. But w- what we've now got is um, now previously we had monopoly property rights system, which was the government provided it and you just hoped it was good because if it wasn't good, you didn't really have any alternative. So I think we've got you know, everything that Chris was talking about in, in terms of this explosion of markets in the space, but we've also got competition and the underlying institutional infrastructure to provide property rights. And this is private provision of property rights systems um, for many others to use and again you know which ones we end up using the market will decide in a sense um and we might end up with with you know uh, uh, this is this is internet scale so this is not existing at the level of nation states uniquely and, and exhaustively we could have a particularly thin layer of property rights that only works for cocktail recipes but it works around the world and then another one for you uh, know um sort of emerging artists or, or whatever, who knows which way it'll break up. But I think that notion of, I mean, and, and again, as Sinclair was saying, this is very early stage experimentation. We've never really had experimentation in property rights systems before, but I think that's partially, that's also what we're observing right now.
0: So you've painted one possible future there where everything is nft and really society in some ways is massively restructured through digitization and, and that sort of evolutionary process do you think it's scalable like how are we going in terms of the underlying infrastructure of blockchains and where they're at to actually support this kind of transformation ellie
4: i think what the issue that chris raised before around the walled gardens is a really important one Uh, I know there are attempts such as Zora to try to build the marketplaces into the tokens themselves, but how it currently stands with, you know, the terms of those contracts being done through a particular application and that you need to go back to that one to sell that NFT for artworks or similar, I think that's really problematic. I think there's a lot of standardization that still needs to occur with nfts and 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 that's probably the next big piece of work to be done
3: yeah look there's some there's some really obvious and challenging technical barriers um and it's almost a cliche in this space to complain about gas prices but it is definitely true that um some of the really basic um blockchain infrastructure um challenges are holding back a lot of experimentation and i just think back to um if I was if I was seventeen or sixteen, playing around as a you know thinking of myself as an artist, at um in this environment, then some of those technical barriers would have prevented me from being able to um to engage. And I think so. We've lowered a lot of transaction costs, but unfortunately, we've got some really challenging new ones that still have to be dealt with for us to get that real flourishing of innovation that I think is possible.
1: But to, to be fair, though, I mean, we, we might complain about, like, horrific gas prices, but the cost of running the modern uh, state is also astonishingly expensive. Um, you know, so the, to, to a certain extent, this is what is seen and what is unseen. Um, every that's, time, That's
3: true, but I... I-
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, every time you see the gas price in in your MetaMask wallet, you think, oh, my God, I'm paying $30 for this. But in actual fact, um, when I think of how much I pay in income tax every year, um, $30 might not actually be a lot of money.
3: You still
1: Jason, pay the income you tax. To I'm still paying the income tax, yes. But that can change. Over and your time.
0: cryptocurrency tax.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Pay your taxes, people. Don't don't not do that just because Sync told you to. Um, um we talked earlier about like what else is missing. I think the other big thing and and Sincla- Sinclair alluded to this earlier, is you know, the claim here that this is a property rights system and it has the properties of you know of, of, of enforceable property rights, we've never tested that. No one's taken a, a claim to court about whether my NFT holds up. Um, so, you know, to the extent to which we can use DeFi and smart contract-like mechanisms to, you know, automagically enforce on the blockchain the, the terms of the contract. But anything that goes outside of that, we have no idea how strong these things are. Um, you know, so, so there's, you know, There's no case law um, that we can fall back upon. I don't think there's any judges would even um, have any experience in this. So there's huge uncertainty around the enforcement and uh, security of these assets. We know know how secure they are from a technical perspective in the sense of can they be stolen um, or 51% attacked. But we have no idea whether these are actually valid ownership rights or property rights.
1: I think if you try to sell one, certainly the tax office would turn up demanding their share of the capital gains tax um, so I think the tax law would certainly be wanting to to uh, uh, um, gain their share but whether or not other parts of the regulatory state would want to come in and play a game I don't know but this does remind me of that that rather amusing case in Germany a few weeks mm-hmm. ago where the German government tried to confiscate some bitcoin And the person simply said, oh, I can't remember the password. Um, So we will see a lot of these sort of tensions between uh, private ownership and the state coming into play because bearing in mind the state actually clips the tickets every time we transfer ownership, Uh, you know, the stamp duties and transfer duties and all these sorts of things, which all of a sudden, if that can be replaced by a gas price i mean i would rather pay 30 dollars to transfer ownership of my home than say the eight or nine ten thousand dollars that uh, i currently would have to pay uh, you know so th- th- there is going to be some tension there and i think that tension is going to manifest itself of course in the current parts of the world where the hernando de soto problem is is where people don't have secure property rights so nfts are actually going to to, to play an important role in securing property rights in places that are not, say, Australia or the United States in the short term, um, that's actually a good thing uh, for those people. Um, it may not be necessarily be a good thing for governments that are trying to clip the tickets, but certainly on a, on a, on a human level, uh, um, human flourishing is definitely going to benefit as we digitise the economy more, as we actually drive secure property rights deeper into the population.
0: So another aspect to that is something that our colleague Aaron Lane raised as well, of who has the right to digitise something? Because if I digitise the title on your house and sell it, you know, what's to stop me or what's, you know, what's the accountability mechanism there as well?
1: Yes, I I, I think that's the old-fashioned fraud, um, which we're all kind of familiar with. Um, um, It would be a problem when the people you sold it to turn up to move in, I suppose. Um, but yes, that is old fashioned fraud. Um, you, you can't sell something that you don't own.
3: But, but there is, but this is a, I mean, that's the Brooklyn bridge problem. I can sell you the Brooklyn bridge, but you know, you'd be a sucker to do it. But there is this issue which comes to maybe even just cultural norms around intellectual property that, um, uh, to that cocktail, um, it's not necessarily the case that the person who sells the cocktail NFT invented the cocktail. It's not necessarily the case that the person who sells the picture of the tweet actually did the tweeting themselves. Um, and I think this is probably, it, it would be easy to problematize this and make it seem like a catastrophic problem for the NFT space. Um, but we actually manage these problems informally through um, the social norms. Uh, Jason was talking about in recipes or in fashion or so forth. But it is it is an interesting challenge that I think is going to become more live and where there's more money on the line.
1: But but, but not insurmountable. If you think Andy Warhol painted a picture of tomato soup uh, and was able to sell a, a painting of a can of tomato soup. Um, are you, are, you, are know... you still angry about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. But 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 it's 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 the it's the fact that it's an Andy Warhol painting that's actually of value here. Um, you know, so I kind of think it's you know if if, if you are a, a photographer who who, who photographs uh, the city in a particular day, time of day, or in light or what have you, you know, it's we are actually quite used to the idea of of derivative art or of, of variations on a theme and. One of the other reasons we should add why we're seeing this in art as well is because we have these social norms where artists can actually get away with a lot that a lot of other people can't do. And comedians get away with a lot that normally, uh, you know, if a comedian says something, people don't always sort of uh, judge them as harshly as they would somebody else. So we are going to see experimentation in those parts of society and, and in those aspects of society where experimentation is tolerated. Um, and or, or even encourage. so this is why we are seeing it here but at some point i think it's got to break out of that, that that niche and move into the mainstream and and that we haven't quite yet seen
2: it's a very interesting point you're making this thing because this was the same thing the same argument or the same phenomena that we observed with the emergence of bitcoin was that the first place it emerged was in the sort of underground dark web you know money and um using you know buying sort of um, drugs and illicit things on on the internet. Your claim here is is that we're observing this in in the arts and creative industries because that's the kind of wild west part of of the economy.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, well, I wouldn't even say wild west. It's 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 in that part of the so wild west sort just sort of almost lawlessness. Whereas what I'm suggesting is those areas of the economy where we have more permissiveness. Uh, um, French, yeah. As a, Yes, 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 yes. But we expect artists to, to be avant-garde, to do something slightly different. Uh, we're not surprised when they try and sell their JPEG for $69 million. We are surprised perhaps when somebody buys it for $69 million. But, I mean, good luck to him. Um, but I, I don't expect there's going to be an ongoing market for JPEGs at $69 million. Um, I certainly wouldn't want it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be paying the, the gas price to look at my artwork on, on, a, on a semi-regular basis. But but nonetheless, uh, um, that's the experimentation of it and that's also the faddishness of it. Um, it is going to be faddish. There are going to be bubbles. There are going to be people who lose money. Um, but ultimately, this this is the price we pay for successful experimentation.
0: And, of course, the $69 million refers to the sale of the Beeple first 500 Days Artwork at Christie's. I want to shift gears here for a second. Chris, you mentioned that the user experience or the user interface uh, for interacting with the digital economy in the sense of NFTs has developed. You also mentioned an alternate world where you were 16 years old and actually interested in playing with these things. So hypothetically, if you were still interested in playing with these things, and I'm sure all of our listeners now want to, How do people actually make an NFT?
3: Making an NFT is really easy. Um, So uh, I actually played around with it earlier this week and and made my own little NFT connection. All you have to do is there are um, OpenSeas is one of the market platforms. You set up an account, you upload an image and you put it on for sale. Um, uh, It doesn't cost you anything to mint the image onto the chain which is one of the nice things about OpenSeas, which is why I wanted to use that one rather than another one. It only gets minted onto a chain. The NFT itself effectively is only minted once someone purchases it. I discovered to my horror, however, that to set up an account costs um, Australian something like $120. Um, but nonetheless, um, uh, again, that would have stopped. Unfortunately, you know, younger artists... Um, than myself from playing around with it. But it's actually very, very simple to do. Um, I suspect as the um, heat comes off the NFT market and as people invest more into the infrastructure for it, we're going to see um, NFTs on um, potentially chains that have lower transaction fees. We're going to get better interoperability between um, chains. As Ellie was pointing out, we're going to get... um, uh stronger interoperability between marketplaces um so i think I, I, i think that even though the nft market per se or nft innovation dates back a couple of years now i think we've discovered in recent weeks the opportunities for the space and there's going to be a lot of investment in that experience
0: was it an original artwork
3: it was it was three original artworks. I'll have
0: at Kelsey. Wow. wow, still for sale? <laughs> what do we buy?
3: They're still for sale unfortunately <laughs> I, I, I may have I may have priced them up, but I didn't want to I didn't want to sell them cheap because you know they took me time. <laughs> I, I would, I would I would rather they didn't sell than get a low price uh-uh.
1: I hope you're not sort of making some sort of labour value uh, um, argument here, Christopher. It's it's, uh, it's
3: look, it's a psychological much, value. That's how I I'm, I'm not miserably. how much
1: time you took in making it. How much it's somebody problem. else values your how, how much anyone cares what I did. Yes, that's yes. right. And 68 million dollars is a lot for.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I a little bit all at that.
0: And, of course, Jason, you mentioned earlier in the week that you've just never seen such such a rapid adoption in an industry and there has been a bit of backlash. So um, one of the conversations I was part of was uh, from a reporter who wrote a story and then a lot of the audience wrote to them with concerns about the environment. I gave some public comment on that. Um, Ellie, what are your thoughts on that? If people don't want to do NFTs or if they're mad at artists or blockchain users uh, because of the environmental effects.
4: Yeah, actually an artist friend of mine contacted me with concerns about this quite a few weeks ago um, and directed me to a Discord channel where a huge number of artists were talking about this. So I I went and had a look at their concerns. And one thing that alarmed me most was that they were looking for alternative platforms and going to some... Like, you know, including things like IOTA, which I think are not very secure and highly problematic. And so I, I worry that, of course, art always has been um, tied to and an important force within social movements. And climate change is an extremely important social movement that I, I don't want to in any way undermine by what I'm about to say. But I think that... Um, What what this particular moment has revealed is that a lot of people don't really understand these platforms or technologies in a a particularly meaningful way, and that's probably an issue for the, the Ethereum community to sort out and deal with because Ethereum has actually moved to proof of stake. It hasn't fully yet integrated Ethereum One with that proof of stake new beacon chain, but that will reduce the um environmental costs by 99 uh, electricity used by 99% or something so um I, I hope that that people are beginning to see that ethereum which is where most nfts are um is is well on its way to resolving this and artists of course can choose not to mint them until this until we're there, until proof of stake is is the consensus mechanism. Um, but, of course, I don't think that's going to change the use of energy in the meantime if they do <laughs> because they, people are, the, the miners are still going to be mining Ethereum. Whether their NFTs are on there or not, the electricity is still going to be used. Um, What it has done, which is maybe a positive thing, is it has opened up a conversation again about uh, blockchain and renewables and how miners mine and what energy sources they use. And I think that um, the more we have that conversation, the better, because it's often distorted and poorly represented. And... um, we, we we probably all need to get on the, yeah, just just get to the same point and and to start to see that actually blockchain, and indeed Bitcoin, the most energy intensive one, um, could be a driver for renewables. Yeah. So there, 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 there's a lot of different sides to this and and i'm'm I'm, I'm disappointed that the art community is only seeing the fictitious side. <laughs>
0: I like your emphasis on education there and also um, kind of solutionism, I I saw a really interesting case. I think it was by someone called Trevor Jones and alongside their art, they minted a carbon token and they auctioned that to offset the carbon. So in terms of innovation, it was like kudos to you. Uh, Chris?
3: Yeah, so there's an interesting um, parallel conversation, obviously, and and Ellie's alluded to the, the conversation with Bitcoin itself. Um, And there are now some investors, um, wealthy investors, who have um, strong um, social conscience or social justice views um, who are seeking what they're calling sort of clean Bitcoin. So this is Bitcoin that they can demonstrate has been mined by miners who are um, using renewable energy or, or, or any form of clean energy. Now, that's possible because we can see the history of any given Bitcoin, and so we can trace it back um, uh, to to any given particular miner. Because fundamentally, and a couple of people have made this point, but I think it is important. Bitcoin is its own NFT. Um, NFTs came from the idea that you could indelibly um, track a history of an individual Bitcoin, um, as if it's traveling down a supply chain. You can, just as you might be able to indelibly track an artwork. So when we've got this open supply chain of information and value, we can do really interesting things about identifying the provenance of individual coins um, and make much better consumer decisions about how we interact with these platforms as a result.
0: Everyone, it's been a really interesting discussion and unfortunately we need to tie it off for this episode, but I'd love to hear from each of you in terms of where you think this infrastructure is going and i think we've talked about some of the kind of you know potential value and kind of opportunities of this experimentation as well as some of the sort of cautionary tales and and risks and and hypes i'll start with you jason
2: yeah i think in terms of you know this is a new property rights infrastructure to enable dramatically lower the cost of putting ownership on things that previously didn't have that in in order to enable them to be traded or to move into the economy. Um, Arts and creative industries, nice, obvious starting point. But for me, the big one is data. Um, Data traditionally has no property rights. We deal with it by putting it inside companies or we use government regulation to try and manage its resources. I mean, it's it's resource allocation. But the idea of of having... um, NFTs is basically containers in which data sits, and then you permission access to that container creates data markets. And, you know, to the extent that data is increasingly becoming a factor of production in a modern economy, um, in in an economic resource that has more and more um, asset-like characteristics or money-like characteristics, NFTs can essentially push data into the economy. And to me, that's just revolutionary. Now, we're not there yet. We, we haven't even begun that, that process, but this seems to be the obvious next step. And that would be huge.
4: I think that, Yeah, I think that um, it gets more interesting when NFTs are used as digital twins for physical objects. And that hasn't been really part of the discussion in this particular hype cycle. But I think that that's important for many reasons, including circular economy type reasons. Um, and, I, th- I, yeah, I feel that that kind of integration with Internet of Things and getting that right and, in fact, overcoming the scepticism around the, um, that the, some, because something is digital, it's not real. in fact, it's just a record of something that could be real and and, and overcoming that um, the boundary, the barrier between the digital and the physical, I think is going to be important in the long term.
0: Can you explain what you mean by circular economy there?
4: Oh just in terms of the the tracking of, of, of things and resources, from the, the moment of production through consumption to being recycled, knowing where your old laptop um, parts are going. And-
1: Because your Bitcoin uh, um, wallet is on the hard drive still.
4: <laughs> well, we really want to know, actually. But yeah, so I mean, I, I, think, the, I think we're very, and, and Materium and Vinay Gupta, of course, talk about this the most, but that, that concept that we, um, know a lot about the production and consumption part of the chain but not what happens after that and in fact that is just the big gaping toxic waste dump of our society that we need to fix Hmm.
1: Hmm. you know i I completely agree with elia i think as we move from the 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 industrial economy to the digital economy uh, nfts are going to be the way in which real things are represented Um, That has to happen. Um, And then, of course, new business models and and new things that we haven't yet imagined also need to come into that market to to really scale it up. Um, But I I was really heartened by an opinion piece I read in the Times of London today where the author was ranting and raving about how outrageous it is that there is a $69 million JPEG out there. And he kind of ended it off by saying this is just because people do want to make money and have got no conception of real art and of course this is a this is a discussion we have every 20 30 years you know the, the this rap music is not real music um, this rock and roll is not real music this whatever is not real which kind of suggests to me it's well on its way to acceptance um, if people are writing op-eds in the times of london saying this is not a real thing well actually it's if not a real thing already, it's well on its way to being real. So uh, that really made me. Uh, uh, it, it warmed my heart, anyway. Uh, I was I was happy to see that, and I actually think that digitizing the industrial economy is where we are seeing some movement, and and and, and that's actually an important step forward to actually a, a full blown digital blockchain enabled economy.
0: Tell us, tell us when it's on Gold FM. Uh, Chris, I really <laughs> liked your your point about um, how these digital assets are kind of encoded with information. Do you have final final co- comments or thoughts?
3: Yeah. Look, uh, unfortunately, um, Sinclair, Jason, and Ellie have given the huge big picture of what's the world going to look like in twenty years already, which I completely agree. But um, I think in the short term, we're going to see a lot of innovation around um, uh, norms of intellectual property. So um, the evolution that we've seen outside the legal system around IP regimes, such as creative commons. I think there's the opportunity. And in the next couple of months, we're going to see parallel evolution about what, what does it mean to own or to have the right to that piece of art? What obligations are you putting on others to do so? None of which will be fully enforceable legally speaking, but will be culturally enforceable and will become um, unobjectionable norms by which we interact with these um, pieces of art or cultural products and so forth. So I think, the, uh, as I said before, the, um, this sudden emergence, this sudden burst of innovation is going to have, even after the hype has died down, as we've seen time and time again in this space, it's going to have a trail of innovation around the infrastructure that supports it and i think that's where the most interesting things happen
0: fantastic i think it's been such a a fantastic discussion with all of you and we've kind of gone a little bit deeper on some of the intro to nft stuff to some some sort of trends and some frameworks to help explain it which has been really helpful so Thank you to our guests, Jason Potts, Ellie Rennie, Chris Berg and Sinclair Davidson, all from the RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Mint and Burn. You can check out the show notes and further research at rmitblockchain.io.